Chapter Sixteen of When Knighthood Was in Flower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. When Knighthood Was in Flower by Charles Major. Chapter Sixteen A Hawking Party. A few days after Brandon's departure, Mary, with the King's consent, organized a small party to go over to windsor for a few weeks during the warm weather there were ten or twelve of us including two chaperones the old earl of hertford and the dower duchess of kent henry might as well have sent along a pair of spaniels to act as chaperones it would have taken an army to guard mary alone and to tell you the truth our old chaperones needed watching more than any of us it was scandalous each of them had a touch of gout and when they made wry faces it was a standing inquiry among us whether they were leering at each other or felt a twinge whether it was their feet or their hearts that troubled them mary led them a pretty life at times even at home in the palace and i know they would rather have gone off with a pack of imps than with us the inducement was that it gave them better opportunities to be together an arrangement connived at by the queen i think and they were satisfied the earl had a wife but he fancied the old dowager and she fancied him and probably the wife fancied somebody else so they were all happy it greatly amused the young people you may be sure and mary said probably without telling the exact truth that every night she prayed god to pity and forgive their ugliness one day the princess said she was becoming alarmed their ugliness was so intense she feared it might be contagious and spread then with a most comical seriousness she added mon dieu sir edwin what if i should catch it master charles would not take to me no danger of that my lady he is too devoted to see anything but beauty in you no matter how much you might change do you really think so he says so little about it that sometimes i almost doubt therein she spoke the secret of brandon's success with her at least in the beginning for there is wonderful potency in the stimulus of a healthy little doubt we had a delightful canter over to windsor i riding with mary most of the way i was not averse to this arrangement as i not only relished mary's mirth and joyousness which was at its height but i hoped i might give my little lady jane a twinge or two of jealousy perchance to fertilize her sentiments toward me mary talked and laughed and sang for her soul was a fountain of gladness that bubbled up the instant pressure was removed she spoke of little but our last trip over this same road and as we passed objects on the way told me of what brandon had said at this place and that she laughed and dimpled exquisitely in relating how she had deliberately made opportunities for him to flatter her until at last he smiled in her face and told her she was the most beautiful creature living but that after all beauty was as beauty did that made me angry said she i pouted for a while and two or three times was on the point of dismissing him but thought better of it and asked him plainly wherein i did so much amiss then what do you think the impudent fellow said i cannot guess he said oh there is so much it would take a lifetime to tell it this made me furious but i could not answer and a moment later he said nevertheless i should be only too glad to undertake the task the thought never occurred to either of us then that he would be taken at his word bold i should think he was i never saw anything like it i have not told you a tenth part of what he said to me that day he said anything he wished 
and it seemed that I could neither stop him nor retaliate. Half the time I was angry, and half the time amused. But by the time we reached Windsor there was never a girl more hopelessly and desperately in love than Mary Tudor, and she laughed as if it were a huge joke on Mary. She continued, "'That day settled matters with me for all time. I don't know how he did it. Yes, I do.' and she launched forth into an account of Brandon's perfections, which I found somewhat dull, and so would you. We remained a day or two at Windsor, and then, over the objections of our chaperones, moved on to Berkeley Castle, where Margaret of Scotland was spending the summer. We had another beautiful ride up the dear old Thames to Berkeley, but Mary had grown serious and saw none of it. On the afternoon of the appointed day the princess suggested a hawking party, and we set out in the direction of the rendezvous. Our party consisted of myself, three other gentlemen, and three ladies besides Mary. Jane did not go. I was afraid to trust her. She wept, and, with difficulty, forced herself to say something about a headache, but the rest of the inmates of the castle, of course, had no thought that possibly they were taking their last look upon Mary Tudor. Think who this girl was we were running away with. What reckless fools we were not to have seen the utter hopelessness, certain failure, and deadly peril of our act. Treason, black as Plutonian midnight. But Providence seems to have an especial care for fools, while wise men are left to care for themselves, and it does look as if safety lies in folly. We rode on and on and although I took two occasions, in the presence of others, to urge Mary to return, owing to the approach of night and threatened rain, she took her own head, as everybody knew she always would, and continued the hunt. Just before dark, as we neared the rendezvous, Mary and I managed to ride ahead of the party quite a distance. At last we saw a heron rise, and the princess uncapped her hawk. "'This is my chance,' she said. I will run away from you now and lose myself. Keep them off my track for five minutes, and I shall be safe. Good-bye, Edwin. You and Jane are the only persons I regret to leave. I love you as my brother and sister. When we are settled in New Spain, we will have you both come to us. Now, Edwin, I shall tell you something. Don't let Jane put you off any longer. She loves you. She told me so. There. Good-bye, my friend. Kiss her a thousand times for me and she flew her bird and galloped after it at headlong speed. As I saw the beautiful young form receding from me, perhaps forever, the tears stood in my eyes, while I thought of the strong heart that so unfalteringly braved such dangers, and was so loyal to itself and daring for its love. She had shown a little feverish excitement for a day or two, but it was the fever of anticipation, not of fear or hesitancy. Soon the princess was out of sight, and I waited for the others to overtake me. When they came up I was greeted in chorus, "'Where is the princess?' I said she had gone off with her hawk, and had left me to bring them after her. I held them talking while I could, and, when we started to follow, took up the wrong scent. A short ride made this apparent, when I came in for my full share of abuse and ridicule, for I had led them against their judgment. I was credited with being a blockhead, when in fact they were the dupes. We rode hurriedly back to the point of Mary's departure, and wound our horns lustily, but my object had been accomplished, and I knew that within twenty minutes from the time I last saw her, she would be with Brandon, on the road to Bristol, gaining on any pursuit we could make at a rate of three miles for two. 
we scoured the forest far and near, but of course found no trace. After a time rain set in, and one of the gentlemen escorted the ladies home, while three of us remained to prowl about the woods and roads all night in a soaking drizzle. The task was tiresome enough for me, as it lacked motive, and when we rode into Berkeley Castle the next day, a sorrier set of bedraggled, rain-stained, mud-covered knights you never saw. You may know the castle was wild with excitement. There were all sorts of conjectures, but soon we unanimously concluded it had been the work of Hiraman, of whom the country was full, and by whom the princess had certainly been abducted. The chaperones forgot their gout and each other, and Jane, who was the most affected of all, had a genuine excuse for giving vent to her grief and went to bed, by far the safest place for her. What was to be done? First we sent a message to the king, who would probably have us all flayed alive, a fear of which the chaperone shared to the fullest extent. Next an armed party rode back to look again for Mary, and, if possible, rescue her. The fact that I had been out the entire night before, together with the small repute in which I was held for deeds of arms, excused me from taking part in this bootless errand, so again I profited by the small esteem in which I was held. I say profited, for I stayed at the castle with Jane, hoping to find my opportunity in the absence of everybody else. All of the ladies but Jane had ridden out, and the knights who had been with me scouring the forest were sleeping, since they had not my incentive to remain awake. They had no message to deliver, no duty to perform for an absent friend. A thousand! Only think of it! I wished it had been a million, and so faithful was I to my trust that I swore in my soul I would deliver them, every one. And Jane loved me! No more walking on the hard, prosaic earth now. From this time forth I would fly. That was the only sensible method of locomotion. Mary had said, She told me so. Could it really be true? You will at once see what an advantage this bit of information was to me. I hoped that Jane would wish to see me to talk over Mary's escape, so I sent word to her that I was waiting, and she quickly enough recovered her health and came down. I suggested that we walk out to a secluded little summer-house by the river, and Jane was willing. Ah, my opportunity was here at last! She found her bonnet, and out we went. What an enchanting walk was that, and how rich is a man who has laid up such treasures of memory to grow sweeter as he feeds upon them! A rich memory is better than hope! for it lasts after fruition, and serves us at a time when hope has failed and fruition is but— a memory. Ah! Oh, how we cherish it in our hearts, and how it comes to our beck and call to thrill us through and through, and make us thank God that we have lived, and wonder in our hearts why he has given poor, undeserving us so much. After we arrived at the summer-house, Jane listened, half the time in tears, while I told her all about Mary's flight. Shall I ever forget that summer day? A sweet briar entwined our enchanted bower, and when I catch its scent even now, time-vaulting memory carries me back, making years seem as days, and I see it all as I saw the light of noon that moment, and all was Jane. The softly lapping river, as it gently sought the sea, sang in soothing cadence of naught but Jane. The south wind from his flowery home breathed zephyr-voiced her name again, 
and as it stirred the rustling leaves on bush and tree they whispered back the same sweet strain and every fairy voice found its echo in my soul for there it was as twas with me jane 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 i have heard men say they would not live their lives over and take its meagre grains of happiness in such infinite disproportion to its grief and pain but as for me thanks to one woman i almost have the minutes numbered all along the way and know them one from the other and when i sit alone to dream and live again some portion of the happy past i hardly know what time to choose or incident to dwell upon my life is so much crowded with them all would i live again my life ay every moment except perhaps when jane was ill and therein even was happiness for what joy there was at her recovery i do not even regret that it is closing it would be ungrateful i have had so much more than my share that i simply fall upon my knees and thank god for what he has given jane's whole attitude toward me was changed and she seemed to cling to me in a shy unconscious manner that was sweet beyond naming as the one solace for all her grief after i had answered all her questions and told her over and over again every detail of mary's flight and had assured her that the princess was at that hour breasting the waves with brandon on their high road to paradise i thought it time to start myself in the same direction and to say a word in my own behalf so i spoke very freely and told jane what i felt and what i wanted oh sir edwin she responded let us not think of anything but my mistress think of the trouble she is in no no jane lady mary is out of her trouble by now and is as happy as a lark you may be sure has she not won everything her heart longed for then let us make our own paradise since we have helped them make theirs you have it jane just within your lips speak the word and it will change everything if you love me and i know you do jane's head was bowed and she remained silent then i told her of lady mary's message and begged if she would not speak in words what i so longed to hear she would at least tell it by allowing me to deliver only one little thousandth part of the message mary had sent but she drew away and said she would return to the castle if i continued to behave in that manner i begged hard and tried to argue the point but logic seems to lose its force in such a situation and all i said availed nothing jane was obdurate and was for going back at once her persistence was beginning to look like obstinacy and i soon grew so angry that i asked no permission but delivered mary's message or a good part of it at least whether she would or no and then sat back and asked her what she was going to do about it poor little jane thought she was undone for life she sat there half pouting half weeping and said she could do nothing about it that she was alone now and if i her only friend would treat her that way she did not know where to look where to look i demanded look here jane here you might as well understand first as last that i will not be trifled with longer and that i intend to continue treating you that way as long as we both live i have determined not to permit you to behave as you have for so long for i know you love me you have half told me so a dozen times and even your half words are whole truths there is not a fraction of a lie in you besides mary told me that you told her so she did not tell you that yes upon my knightly honour 
Of course there was but one answer to this tears i then brought the battle to close quarters at once and with my arm uninterrupted at my lady's waist asked did you not tell her so i know you will speak nothing but the truth did you not tell her answer me jane the fair head nodded as she whispered between the hands that covered her face yes i-i did and i well i delivered the rest of mary's message and that too without a protest from jane truthfulness is a pretty good thing after all so jane was conquered at last and i heaved a sigh as the battle ended for it had been a long hard struggle i asked jane when we should be married but she said she could not think of that now not until she knew that mary was safe but she would promise to be my wife some time i told her that her word was as good as gold to me and so it was and always has been as good as fine gold thrice refined i then told her i would bother her no more about it now that i was sure of her but when she was ready she should tell me of her own accord and make my happiness complete she said she would and i told her i believed her and was satisfied i did however suggest that the intervening time would be worse than wasted happiness thrown right in the face of providence as it were and begged her not to waste any more than necessary to which she seriously and honestly answered that she would not we went back to the castle and as we parted jane said timidly i am glad i told you edwin glad it is over she had evidently dreaded it but i was glad too very glad then i went to bed End of chapter 16